Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Okay, um, this is Monsters as Heroes. Um, I would go through and introduce ourselves. Uh, so my name is Jason Laporte. I am a publisher and an independent film producer and um, been doing pop culture things my entire adult life. Uh, I am Mona Ventress. I write spicy books with monsters as the point of interest. And I have been in love with monsters ever since Beauty and the Beast. And when he switched to human, it was wrong. <laughs> no, thank you. I will take the beast. Um, I am William Harper. Uh, ostentatiously, I'm supposed to be an author. Uh, that's what Joe said. He said, tell everybody you're an author. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm just a fat guy with a truck driver, and they give me free beer for sitting on the house. So, um, oh, wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jason, we need to write a strong lead. I had to pay to be here, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my book, 530 Return, was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. The, um, uh, the, uh, that is Monstrous Hero. Um, and uh, my first book, The Collective, was an international bestseller. Uh, and that and two bucks will buy you a cheap cup of coffee, so it's really not that important. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's actually pretty important. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Not a bit. It, it sounds important. It sounds really important. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's if it packs like a tongue, it must be a tongue. If it beeps like a phone, it must be a phone. Apologize. Uh, so, who want, whoever asks who is the moderator has to be the moderator. I'm not going to do that this time. Um, so, why don't we just start? Uh, what are your thoughts on the setup? So, and I do apologize, everyone. I actually am the last minute film. If you look at your programming, it says S.A. Bradley. I am not S.A. Bradley, but he was abducted by aliens. He couldn't be here. So, I'm filling in on a last minute basis. So, I didn't prepare anything for this because it was literally two days ago. And Joe was like, hey. So, I said yes. So, this is all off the cuff, because I don't really have anything planned or prepared. But, to your point, or to the point of this panel, um, for the how monsters um, can be heroes or anything else with that, one of, the, one of the biggest elements for me of what we do, and a lot of the stuff I'm publishing, or that I do publish or do work on, are horror. Mostly, I mostly work in the horror field. That's kind of what I do. And monsters are always interesting. We like monsters. Even when you look at your more human-esque monsters, your, your Michael Myers, your Jason Gordon's, mm-hmm. those kinds of guys, it's not so much, you know, those guys, could, you really couldn't call them heroes necessarily, but one of the most compelling things about them is they are amoral. They don't have, 
they aren't good, they aren't bad, they're just, they just are. They just do what they do. And the older I get, the more I start to sympathize with like Jason Voorhees because they're just teenagers wrecking his shit. And I get his point. <laughs> get off my lawn. Yeah, get off my lawn, basically. They're just gate crashing his camp and they aren't supposed to be there and they're making much. I get it, I understand completely. Um, so for me, that's one of the more compelling issues with them is against that A morality. They can fill whatever need they want to or whatever they're supposed to do because that's the job. That's what needs to happen. Um, I would argue on a more philosophical or on a sociological level, a character like um, James Bond, arguably... Nobody's home. <laughs> Hello? Is it locked? It's me. It gets stuck. I'm in California waiting. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Does it lock? Everybody, Linda Addison. Yes, it's locked. Hey, Linda. Oh, yeah. if, if you don't know her, Linda Addison is a uh, uh, six time winner of the Bronze Silver Award. Only five. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 never mind. That. I do have six houses because I have yeah. a lifetime senior. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I so I'm a person who uh, could find sympathy for the devil uh, I always think if you go back far enough you can find something to empathize with uh, like you brought up Jason Voorhees and like that was a poor abused child who then later became a monster. And when I see that, I don't think of them as a monster now. I think I think these are the choices that were laid out for you based on what other people did. And you just kept making the wrong choice and the wrong choice and the wrong choice. It, it's understandable. I want to empathize with it. Uh, should you be killing all of those coeds? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> but... I just, I love it when you can empathize, when you can see the villain's kind of point of view, because it makes them human. I don't like my monster just to be a monster with no rhyme or reason. I, uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and I agree to a certain degree. When I was doing The Broken Throne, I wanted the antagonist to be someone who could not be defeated, that it was impossible to defeat, and I wanted there to be a reason why he was impossible to defeat, and that's because he possesses outside of time. And therefore, you can't defeat it. You right. can always change whatever he's going to do wrong. Um, the, uh, but still, the heroes have to defeat him somehow. Uh, I modified that when I did 530 Return. Uh, Juan the monster uh, is the protagonist in 530 Return, and he is a very, very, very bad person. He is the epitome of someone you never want to be your friend. And in fact, he doesn't want to be anybody's friend. And the only friend that he has gets murdered. He's the only one in society who's able to be as brutal and effective enough to do the job. Okay, so it's noir. It was a uh, love letter to Mickey Swain and uh, I, the jury, um, if you're familiar with it. But to my mind, my when I think of monsters as protagonists, I know that a lot of people like to work with it and like to try to empathize. When I hear that, what I want to see is Grendel. Have you ever read Grendel? Yeah. Mm. Okay, Grendel. Yeah. Grendel is just a monster. Okay, you understand why he's a monster, but he is monstrous. And 
if we humanize monsters too much to make them the protagonists, they stop being monsters. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, and that's that. that that's my point on it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I will. Well, and, and to your point, like, again, I, I pick on vampires only because I've got three books about vampires in production. You're not, you're not, you're not going to diss on the uh, on the vampire diaries, are you? Yes. Uh, yes, I am. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the point I'm well, trying to make Twilight is, is yeah. So, oh, I am definitely going to. I'm going to slam dunk on Twilight. I will say vampires probably do show what you're, what you're talking about there. I'm not talking about quality here. We're not talking about quality. Interview with a vampire. Right. So, and the Anne Rice might be a good example of this. Of before, before Anne Rice, and actually going through, Polidori wrote the first like vampires of like as like an area that like noble person. Or before that, vampires were just they're creatures. They're monsters. They rip you apart. They're bloodthirsty. Just they're forces of nature. They're just animals. They're they're good at what they do. They drink your blood. They're horrible. They're nasty. And then. Paul Ray writes this book as a count, and then we have Dracula that comes out a little bit later. And then Anne Rice really reinforced the idea of vampires as these haunted. The uh, origins of the vampire, uh, the origins of the vampire genre, if you will, actually go back to Serbia, mm -hmm. okay, which is where the name vampire originates, okay. And a man by the name of Sava Savanovic, and I know this because I did a deep study into it, so I could write a screenplay about it. Sava um, Savanovic was a normal guy who was accused of killing his uh, fiance, okay, put to death by the village. It was never proven that he killed his fiance, she just died. Um, put to death by the village and then buried outside of holy ground. And every 20 years, he comes back, okay, and kills people. And you say, well, yeah, yeah, people did it. No, every 20 years, regular clockwork, this little village in Serbia puts out warnings, okay, and they everybody hangs up garlic all over the place. And sure, sure as sin, somebody is out wandering alone without garlic around them, and they, they get murdered. Okay. Sorry, I'm just imagining and, and this in modern it's, times. It's oh my God, boring. Brittany, I'm on my way to the party, but I totally just realized I left my garlic behind. <laughs> I don't know if I should go home or just keep going through the eerie woods that yeah. we're going to miss. But the like. uh, interesting thing about Serbian vampires is that um, they do not need to be invited into your home. They only need to steal your shoes. If they, oh, if they steal your shoes, they can walk, which is what I'm putting in the screenplay. That's okay. fun. Okay, oh, steal your shoes. And I have a lot yeah, of shoes. Steal your shoes. <laughs> so you, you leave your shoes outside, he can take your shoes, and then he can enter the house and kill you. Okay, okay note to all of you guys, uh, if you have like really bad athlete's feet, you don't have to tell us. Just make sure you leave those shoes out for dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so wouldn't this guy be in Japan? <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, because oh, shoes outside? Yeah. Savanovic? Uh, no, actually. Uh, well, no, no, I mean, with the vampires, you all hanging out in Japan. <laughs> well, technically, no, they don't actually. So in, in Asia, they have an entryway. Where they leave their shoes, they don't leave them actually outside most right. of the time. It's inside an entryway. Well, Eastern Europe, that was quite uh, quite often, uh, it still is quite often a, uh, a tradition that you leave your shoes outside See, and walk in. For me, living in the desert my whole life, you don't leave your shoes anywhere. These hang upside down, so shit is gone. That's also the origin of the, of the coins on Christmas, because uh, Saint Nicholas would leave coins in the shoes of children instead of giving the coins to the parents. He put the coins into the children who really needed the money. And into their shoes, and they'd wake up on. They wake up in the morning, actually uh, December sixth, which is the feast of Saint Nicholas, and they would um, 
they would uh, find uh, gold coins in their shoes and they would be able to buy the food and things like that. Or toys, or, uh, you know, kids don't really great at Wow, <laughs> poverty <laughs> looks great. <laughs> so, but, so again, like, so going back to those those early myths of this, like, yes. what would arguably, that what you're describing there would be more like a, a wraith type, what we nowadays would call like a wraith. Or a revenant, this, yeah. Yeah, something like that with this, this risen, Bloodthirsty. That is what Bram Stoker based Dracula. Right, around. but then we get so that even then Dracula was still a, was a sympathetic villain. You know, he he portrayed him as somewhat sympathetic. He had emotions, he had feelings. He had. Like, I mean, the Bram Stoker version was like one of my early girlhood crushes. What do you mean you're waiting through time for me? Yes, <laughs> yes, thank you. That's all I've ever wanted. But nowadays, if you have if you have a villain as a vampire in a story, more often than not, the vampires are either it's usually a good vampire and a bad vampire, and they're usually in a love triangle with somebody else, and they're deeply haunted and they're beautiful and they're gorgeous. Oh my god, I love them. So like the idea of having a truly just despicable or a truly immoral or amoral vampire villain in a story nowadays would be odd. It would be an outlier. That's great. That would be an example of how they become, because they're romantic, the idea of them is romantic. I'm like, zombies. Yeah. Zombies aren't really a romantic thing. They're bad guys. They're body flesh. Hey, don't you dare. Warm Bodies was amazing. It was, it was amazing. so cute. If it wasn't Nicholas Holt playing the zombie, would you care as much? If the casting is right, yeah, maybe. So if they had Danny DeVito playing It would be a different movie completely. But we have these certain character types that are um, that are sympathetic. We naturally feel something about them. Like vampires are naturally tragic characters, so we empathize with them more, so we end up siding with them more. I'm gonna be the dick here because like as the one female presenting human Please. on this panel, fucking hate and especially vamp- and romanticizing vampire. It's gross to me. It is like, I'm a 500-year-old man and you're an 18-year-old. And I'm like, what are you doing? How are you entertained by this at all? You're 500 years old. You've read Tolstoy. You've met Dostoevsky. She gets drunk at, <laughs> like at a party with her friends. Yeah. I'm going to say no, no. Nope, nope. I don't think that's just vampires because I have seen that so much with other supernatural romances like fairies. Oh, yeah. yeah. And werewolves. And werewolves, yeah. yeah. That's entirely the problem is the supernatural romance genre. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of which, can I tell you about my books? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing is, is that if you're de- dealing with the supernatural genre in general, to a degree, you're dealing with superheroes. Okay. Yeah. People with unnatural powers who are able to use them. And there's a power dynamic that goes on there. Okay. And maybe you're pitching this to, uh, uh, you're wanting to sell this to women who think it's sexy to have a powerful man in their life. Or maybe you're pitching this to men who think it's sexy to have a powerful woman, woman in their life. Okay, uh, it doesn't really matter. Okay, everybody has different tastes. But what um, if we look at it like that, then anything could be really a, uh, anything could be really a monster movie if they, if they have bad enough intentions or they're just cruel enough. Uh, I mean, look at the boys. 
<laughs> so I was going to go a different direction. I was thinking this is Delphire. Yeah. Like, recast in a different light. You put somebody other than Robin Williams in there, that is a creepy-ass stalker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> While you were sleeping. Yeah. Oh, that yes. is an evil film. Yes, sir. That's very good. So you're, you're, you're talking about the, the age disparity, so I can't help but throw out my favorite line about Bella and Edward. The reason why Bella, the reason why Edward couldn't read Bella's mind was because there's nothing to <laughs> Correct. Yes, she was. She was the She was sixteen. Well, well I know, she's from Phoenix. But she was. Oh! Does that make it any better, especially now that we know that the brain doesn't stop developing until the age of 25 or 26? I think it's 27. But she was yeah. the best red person in the entire village. So. <laughs> well, the, the, the point I wanted to make about that, though, is just the, isn't that just the, the, the Bella character was hugely blamed. I mean, and there, there was the, well, nothing to her. But it's, well, it's, 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 it's an insert. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. Like, that, that's right. That's so that anyone could insert themselves yeah. into the book, and, and then that's why it has its generic popularity. Yeah. And, that, and that might be also why the villains are more popular, and that's why we like them as heroes. Like, uh, Loki would be an example of this. Okay. You look at the Marvel stuff, Loki is far more common for Thor is pretty, but he, there's not much to him. He's pretty basic. He's pretty bland. Loki is complex. He's interested, and now he's not the villain to a full so not the protagonist. Um, and that's why, even going back to the mythology behind it, Loki was always a really popular. Thor was a very barely acknowledged character in mythology because he was milk toast. He's boring. He's not interesting. Loki was until he's played was. by Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So just because he's pretty, so hilarious. It doesn't have to be smart if he looks that good. He can just stand there and breathe, and I'll be entertained for hours. But that was that was part of the joke in the original movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the last part again. Like like Greek culture. Yeah, Sandy, you had to read uh, like old Greek poetry, like the Iliad and all those. But the heroes are bland as hell. They're boring. Yeah. They're they're dull. Yeah, but the bad guys, the gods, are. Fascinating until these full fledged because you're not inserting yourself. You know, if you're reading this epic poetry about Homer, you are Odysseus, you are Perseus, you want to be your that self insert. But that's all it really was, guys. It was just fan fiction that Homer wrote. It's really yeah. uh, I would counter with Oedipus Rex. Oedipus Rex Oedipus is the monster The teacher of the century Slapstick will never die It's always a place for low-key humor I'm trying to think of a notable uh, uh, without quoting myself because that's kind of like mental masturbation um, here's rude. so here's here's some examples of reasons why I, I even like amoral monsters yes, like the ones the inhuman ones I cannot blame them nine times out of ten right like if it's a if it's a pack of uh, uh, velociraptors eating <laughs> well, a human I'm like yeah they gotta eat that yeah. human, that's uh, even if it was me Plus my dying breath would be like don't <laughs> kill them it's just how nature made them. <laughs> And I can, I still find empathy in that, right? Like, I'm not going to blame a great white for snacking on a surfer. <laughs> Palpatine was right. <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine, Palpatine was justified from his point of view and from the needs of the government. 
to do what he did. He was brutal and he was ineffective, but he was going in the right direction. And if you read the lore, you can't help but notice that. Right, because there was a more imminent threat coming from outside. Right. And he knew about it. But see, the problem with Palpatine and why we can analyze him and, and truly turn him villainous is he didn't trust anybody with that information. He power hoarded. To, to try and because he decided he was the best one to handle that situation. He's, that's that's his mistake. He's using it as a mechanism to seize more power. Correct. And plus he relied on idiots. <laughs> but that's part of the Sith. That's how they were. They did not trust anyone. That's why there was only two Siths all the time. That's why he was destined to fail. Like right, that's exactly. why that's like, why the exactly. Sith always failed all the time. You know? Exactly. So I mean yeah, you can argue that he was justified from his point of view, absolutely. But to the rest of the people in the room, he could have asked for help. I'm, He's I'm, a Slytherin who didn't have yeah. a huffle up to back him. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that the greatest sin of the Star Wars universe is that Jar Jar Binks was not a sin. Yeah, that would have actually been a really good, good that, arc for his character. That would have been... An, Amazing art for his character, and if you, if uh, I've read the uh, the write ups on it, and if you look at it, it would have been perfect if he just turned around and says, "Oh, now music cuts your head off," <laughs> <laughs> and then like, "Boom!" That'd have been badass. But even, but even that, like, like the Star Wars stuff, like the reason why we won't glob onto it so much, right? The reason why we didn't like the sequels as much. Kind of, I liked them, kind of, but they were fine. But we didn't like them as much because they didn't have the tragedy of Anakin behind. All of it. Yeah. The first six. Oh, Darth Vader villain. was such an amazing. Yeah, he's villain. such a good villain. But if Darth Vader was just a, ba- he was just a guy in a suit, just a monster, kill people, had no background, he was never Anakin, he was just Darth Vader from the beginning. We wouldn't care. We wouldn't talk about it right now. At the we wouldn't remember anything about it. Well, we I, also have to remember that the power of the dark side is a very big temptation. Like you can equate it to being like a recovering alcoholic being presented with alcohol type of a thing or something like that. Well, so that's so Vader, to begin with, starts out as uh, Jason Gordon. Okay, he walks through and demolishes everything around him. And then he steps forward from that in his development, and you see him as a very able, uh, a very able commander. Okay, and you, that just makes him even scarier. And then in the, the Empire Strikes Back, you learn that he wasn't always this evil, this horrible, this terrible. And it almost humanizes him to a degree, but you still hate him. And that's what I like to see you almost. I hate you, I understand, but I hate you. And uh, that's, uh, that, 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 that's what makes it. And we want to get rid of Vader in Return of the Jedi because we had Palpatine then, who was a bigger thing you could hate even more. He was old, he was ugly, he was decrepit. Guys, there is a huge thing about evil and ugly. It's a oh, big yeah. thing. Yes, it's it's, it's hard to find pretty and ugly and pretty and evil. It's you you can't hate it too much. So oh. they have to be ugly if you really want them to hate it. So if you guys ever look at characters in anything you're reading, if they're obscene, okay, if they're ugly, you're meant to hate. Them. I'm gonna pause you right there. Uh, Count Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So many women thirsted after that man. It's yeah. disturbing. It could be because it was Tony J's voice. It, I don't think, I think it was a combination. Like, well, when they wrote Hunchback Report Notre Dame, they, they actually talk about how they switched the types of songs that they do. Like, normally the hero gets an I want song or an I need song, and the villain gets, and they switched them. Mm-hmm. So he got the I need, I want song. 
and that's what makes it more dark, right? Because like I think we've all somehow in our brains been secretly obsessed with someone and want them more than anything in our lives. And he just, he was in a position of power where no didn't matter to him anymore because he was justified in wanting this thing. And if he couldn't get it, he was going to kill it. It's not rational, but that's where it was. He's a good example of a very human monster. He had no supernatural powers. He had no nothing, but he was... He was a monster. He was was awful. What makes a monster and what makes a man? Okay, sorry. American Psycho. Yeah. Excellent example. American Psycho. There was nothing to love about that man, but we love to watch it. Other than the fact of his, his... Sense of comedy of Chris of evaluating pop music. <laughs> well, that, but, so, um, so I was I was a social worker for years and years. I ran group homes for adults with with severe mental illness, and I had a couple of psychopaths in my programs a couple of times. And contrary to belief, psychopaths are not dangerous people. They mm-hmm. they really aren't. But they can't relate to people. It's impossible for them to do it. So they have to fake it. They're very good at acting. So that behavior in that case he knows he can't connect with people so he fakes it a lot of times they do glob onto either religion or pop culture because it's really easy there's established rules there's established order you know what you're supposed to do and you can reference something when someone's like like oh i love going to church you're like oh i know quotes from ezekiel i got this or pop culture stuff like oh i can like huey lewis in the 80s that was you were never gonna run out of stuff talking about if you talk about huey lewis in the 80s so it was it was that mask and he he probably knew better than the band. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I was just thinking, um, one of the things that I really enjoy is the, um, when it, you kind of flip the switch, or flip the, the narrative, uh, singing specifically of I Am Legend, mm-hmm. where oh. he discovers at the end, you know, he thought what he was doing was right, and he's the monster. Yeah. He's the person. There's a wonderful, um, Oh, it came out a couple of years ago with the horrifying name of uh, the end of Good Indian, where people um, break the laws of their culture, their traditional culture, without breaking the laws of white culture. And you go through the whole thing until you find out why all these terrible things are happening. And then all of a sudden, the protagonist is like, well, yeah, you're the one that did wrong. Know, the the spirit is just taking its just dues, mm. and I love that when they do that. When you uh, you think that you know what's going on, and then when you find out the monster point of view, even when they're monstrous, like you're saying, it's like, oh, wait. So, so yeah, so not to spoil that, but to her point, the book The Omega Man, which is what mm-hmm. I'm if you guys haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't let the movie spoil you on that. The book's fantastic. I would read yes, sir. Well, one comment I have to make to you because you were talking about pretty and you know pretty and doesn't associate with evil. Yeah. Uh, it, it depends on your perspective because if you look at like teenage girls, the most evil person is going to be the hottest girl in the room. Right, but you're still well, supposed to. That's the power dynamic. Yeah, but that, that's the whole point. It, usually, it's a misdirect of some kind. Of. And again, this isn't a direct rule. It's not like if you break it, you're violating it. There's no, obviously, there's no real rules. But generally speaking, especially in visual media, almost always if they have um, kind of out of left field, Nanny McPhee 
is an example of this. Actually, the whole movie is based on this trope of when they first meet this nanny character. She's ugly, she's hideous, they hate her, they can't stand her. But the more they come to like her, the prettier she gets. So she tells them, from the time you want me to stay, that's the time I'm going to go. Yeah, I mean, I generally agree yeah. with you, but, I'm just, but but it is a matter of perspective. Because if you if you look at like that, that female character, guys will love her. Right. But all the women will just look at her and just hate her. Yeah, that's the envy. The, the pretty Becky trope. It's the mean girl trope. Yeah, yeah. And then, but that's the point. Is if she was ugly, no one would give her the time of day, and she wouldn't be. Okay, she wouldn't yeah, be that, that, she there wouldn't would be, be no, no. There'd be no character. Right. I love that these men are having conversations about teenage women and what they are and how they act. And Do you have anything to add? No, not at all. You guys are clearly the experts about no, teenage women. So, so we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I like to put him on the spot. It's, it's my fault. One I, I'd like to throw in there, and if you heard me tip five, but have any of you ever seen Lave of Time? No. It's possible. That the scariest damn movie you're ever going to see. It will screw you up for life. Okay? A man is overdoing his medications and he is uh, he is brought into a psychologist to deal with it and the psychologist feels finds out he's taking medications to stop himself from dreaming because every time he has a dream it comes true. I've read the novel, I've not seen the movie. Play the Pepin? That's Le Guin. Huh? Yeah, Ursula Le Guin. Play the Pepin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you're right. Um, wow, well, this cop came for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Hey, hey, it's, not, it's, it's not my fault. I'm just a truck driver. They give me beer. It's <laughs> been nominated for your So I like to look at the the kind of villainous people that I can uh, like. Once I understand their motivations, I can get behind them. So, um, for example, Tyler Durden and wanting to erase all credit history and all the credit places at the end. This guy was this guy was not a great guy. He was definitely immoral. He was like looks he was in fight club and everything like that. And but he did wipe out credit in that alternate universe. And I'm not gonna lie, I wouldn't mind living there. Right. <laughs> I have a problem. Well let's take for example Wicked. Okay. okay. Excellent uh, stage production. However, if you're looking at Wicked as you're following the Wicked Witch of the West, okay, it's not, she's not really the Wicked Witch of the West anymore. Instead, uh, Glenda is the Wicked Witch of the North. Uh, okay. She, she had pretty she's, privilege. Yeah, she's the mean girl, uh, the, the mean girl sister. And Glenda is the one who's green and everybody dislikes, so she's just going to go ahead and use that power. Um, I don't feel like she's the villain in that case. Um, I feel that she's, uh, if, not, if nothing else, she's kind of mid-range, you know, conflicted. But, uh, you know, she's going to do whatever she has to do. Do you mean Nessa or Glenda? Glenda is the good witch. Yeah. Yeah. And Nessa. Nessa is uh, Alphaba's sister. Yeah. Glenda wasn't, yeah, I was going to question that too. It didn't fully matter to its point. Um, but the... I think with Wicked, again, this comes to the point of like, you know, Ricky Gervais, and he he taught he was on a show, and he was like, 
you know, all these people who say they would go back in time to kill Hitler, like mm-hmm. go back in time and kill Hitler as a child, and clearly none of that will happen. Ricky Gervais's answer to that is, I wouldn't kill him, I'd give that kid a hug. Like, mm-hmm. I'd right. show him love and compassion because I don't think anyone's really ever showed him that before. Like, and that's me really motivated how I thought about it. And this is the thing, people are nuanced, right? You can be a victim of something and still come out an asshole in the end, right? Like we can empathize with your victimhood and still be able to call you out when you're being a dickhole, uh, for lack of a better word. And like, um, that's the part of the monsters that I really like. I like the I like the stories where people can talk the monsters down before they hit the end everything button before they do whatever monstrous thing they're gonna do. Because that to me, like for writing about monsters, we're really just writing about people. Like who, in, on the inside, just people who like put themselves in a really angry position and lash out or people who wanna hurt other people just because they were hurt in life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna refer again to Grendel, uh, which I think is the penultimate monster as protagonist because Grendel, you know Grendel is a monster has monstrous urges and that he wants to destroy, destroy, destroy. And Beowulf is the villain in that story who comes in doing the good thing. But Grendel is... Yeah, those people were squatting yeah. in Grendel's land. They could have just moved. Yeah, and, and Grendel, Grendel just rips people to pieces. And then in the end, spoiler, in the end, when he gets killed by Beowulf, he's like, I'm so surprised. Somebody actually killed me. Uh, um, I really enjoyed that, but um, that's all I have to say. I'm trying to back up. Yes, ma'am. I, I'm, I mean, Everybody, I'm Linda Addison. Slap the beer out of your coffee. <laughs> I'm always, I love everything that everyone's been saying. I find myself, I was thinking of what attracts me in some ways when I'm writing in this realm of monsters is the idea of a monster being driven like a raptor by whatever. instinct. Right, by instinct, like in many ways we all are monsters because we have instincts that we have to intellectually overcome. Because you know, somebody does something, you just want to fucking kill them. But then you're like, oh, that's not good. You want to go to prison. But you know, that's what I find interesting to untangle. Like I was in a convention where someone said, no one can write a story about a zombie and make you care about the zombie. And I was like, oh, okay. So they, because <laughs> this is how my brain, right, I love to be challenged. So I wrote a story mm-hmm. about a zombie that was in love with this male zombie, in love with this male human who's not a zombie. But we were fighting. talking about that in the movie. Yes. yes. Yeah, and, 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 and from his point of view, from the zombie's point of view, he was struggling with the fact that he loved this you know, beating heart and breath, and at the same time wanted to eat him. And it was like a problem, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, you know, and people who have read that story said that they felt this was the first time they cared about the zombie. Why? Because it was a very human struggle between love and hate. In the ghost in the darkness. Mm, that's a good movie. Yeah. Ghost in the Darkness. You don't necessarily care about uh, uh, care about the lion. It, well, it was a lion, right? It was, a, it was two lions. Two lions. Thank you. Thank you. I get my stuff mixed up. You don't necessarily care about the lion, but you understand the lion. 
okay, the lion is doing what lions do, and he's just really good at it. Um, and the protagonist, I can't remember. Honestly, I was rooting for the lion. Just I in terms of like, I, w- I, wasn't, I was just re- rooting for the lion to eat the two white guys and leave everybody else alone, really, because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? What? They, they were female lions too, if that makes any no, sense. No, they were maneless male lions. Maneless that male well, male, maleless, okay. um, I think oh, mass or something. It's an actual story. It is, yeah. They're, they're, they're in the museum. Yeah. They're in the British. Yes, show. and yeah. they, their pelts are horrible because I guess for a while they were using them as floor rugs until they put them. Yes, sorry. We weren't, we weren't nice to them. One of the few things yeah. I actually read about extensively were trash to animals. What? But I mean, like, <laughs> in that, it, even in that, in The Ghost of the Darkness, I was led, like, you know, humans come in and encroach on their territory and take up resources that they need. Of course, they're going to lash out. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Well, it seems really cold and callous, but I'm like, well. Well, and again, the, the man eaters of Sabo, that was the, the real story that the guy wrote. By the way, guys, it's free online. You can find it anywhere. It's really fascinating. The lions should have won. They were smarter, they were better. They, they should have won. The reason why they didn't. Stealthy. Yeah, the reason why they didn't win is because we just kept throwing. More and more resources at them until we eventually wrote them down. So again, they are monsters in our perspective, but they aren't. What we need is a story about the Great Emu War. Yes. 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 Where the monsters win. Okay. Yeah, and the mon- well, the emus won. Yeah, yeah. they won both the wars. Yeah. <laughs> I think what was only two birds were killed in yeah, the entire. That's because, that's because oh, yeah, that's because the emus' feathers. You, they needed much higher caliber bullets to kill them, and the bullets were just bouncing off. Yeah. This was World War One era, so you know, yeah. Good. If you guys want, you should look it up. If you don't know about it, there's um, uh, extra history on at YouTube. They do an entire series. Yeah, on there's, a, there's a really good episode of really history. Yeah, Man from Snowy River. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that one. Interesting man from Snowy River. I mean, it's a classic romance, man, man, woman uh, romance, but it's amazing. And the monster is the mob, or uh, what they call the mob, which is a pack of wild horses. And the the man from Snowy River is this underprivileged guy with nothing who falls in love with the rich man's daughter, and the only way he's ever going to be able to get her is to capture the mob. Okay, but the mob is led by a brilliant stallion. And, oh, very well worth it. You understand the mob, but you really want the mob to get away to, to just, because that's what they do, they run. Right? They, they can run anywhere, and then can't. So. Um, well, we, have, we also have the, the inverse of all this, too. We're talking, a lot of mobs are related to like, human stuff. We also have these monsters that are more Cosmic things that like H. Lovecraft talked about—they were so beyond human comprehension that it's not you—it's incapable. You're incapable of applying a uh, methodology to them. And one of my favorites of this is the Mothman prophecies. Oh yeah, and yeah. the Mothman is yeah. ostensibly the bad guy of the movie. He doesn't do anything to anybody, no. ever. <laughs> he doesn't directly. He doesn't directly do anything to anybody. He just tells them what's going to happen. In the real world, when someone like a person is like, this is what's going to happen, go take care of it, people will be like, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's all he does. And now we talk about it, like, oh, talking Like, fuck us. Like, we just, he just tried to help. He was right. I mean, granted, now they hints that his actual methods were probably nefarious or whatever, but blah, blah, blah. Actions is, just look at his actions. He didn't do a damn thing wrong. Justice from off he, <laughs> he was a hero. He just was really bad at it. He just wants a hug. 
<laughs> yeah. I um, Xenomorph, the alien yeah. uh, quadrilogy, is my favorite of all horror of all time. Um, and each different version of them shows man as villainous in a different way, right? Like, the xenomorph is just a xenomorph. You call xenomorph, right? But, like, in the first one, it's the captain deciding to override his chief science officer's 24-hour quarantine, letting him on the ship. So he was, for whatever, he just, in his mind, he was justified. He wanted to save the life of his crewmen. But at the same time, he had a choice. He had the power to not do that. And I get that it was also the the android who actually let him in, but that's... Yeah, but he still could have, he could have stopped it if he just chose to. Right, exactly. First and, of all, you know, it would be no. If they had to yeah, yeah, exactly. Then it wouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to reference the uh, book and audio play Diary of Jill Woodbine, where I'm not going to give spoilers on who the zombies actually are, but the uh, it, it's probably possibly uh, all the basement that's the author is gender that good. Um, the um, the the monsters are zombies, but they have. Uh, motives and motivations. From, uh, okay, okay. and the mystery of the book is to figure out what the motives and motivations are for this clearly intelligence <laughs> spreading zombie apocalypse. And uh, it's, it's possibly the most unique uh, zombie uh, zombie uh, book I've ever read, and I haven't read many, but it was very unique and uh, absolutely floored my wife, because she hates the zombie, uh, uh, zombie books, but she was absolutely floored by it. Uh, it was the greatest thing since uh, sliced bread, so there you go, Jack. You're not allowed to steal my wife. Huh? Did I pay him for that plug? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Joe's, Joe's covering all of his promotions. I'll take his money, though, if you want. Hey, every time you sell a beer, uh, every time you sell a book, I get a beer. Okay. I, I appreciate you. Yes. <laughs> that is the contract. Is there any monsters you guys like? As uh, Yeah, all right. I was going to say, I think the perspective of what we perceive as monsters is an advanced intelligent race. Like, two examples would be that one, five. Two very intelligent races just show, you know, it shows just how humans will turn against each other. They'll try to manipulate and get into the good, knowing that these two species, and I'm talking about the Vorlock, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the shadows. Yep. And it just really shows your perspective. Who's really the bad villain? Is it the humans that are willing to, to do anything against their own species? Or is these species that know that they're manipulating the humans? Mm. So that's an interesting perspective there. Another one is extraterrestrial, the Vicious Brother movie. That one I'm not familiar with. Okay, basically it's the tall race. And what the perspective is, is they have their ship, their ship is down, and a human shoots them. So who's evil, the human shooting them? And they get back at the humans, or the humans? Spoiler alert, if you've never seen the movie, at the end it's the humans because they return the two humans and the U.S. government shoots them because they want that secret so much. So it, it's really a perspective. I just look at it at that, the alien perspective, mm. is who's really the villain. I mean, it's a great question. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I hate getting trapped up in either or thinking. Right. 
because, well, number one, if you guys aren't aware of this, it's one of the 15 pillars of white supremacy. You should go look this up. Either or thinking is like how they, because it can only be two things, right? right. Exactly. When people are trying to su survive and when they feel like they're threatened, any creature, any living creature, when it, when it is back against the wall, survival, right. we can justify anything. That's part, that's, of the, that's part of the amazingness of our brain mm -hmm. is that if we want to live, we're going to live. Um, or at least we're going to try desperately to. Okay. Uh, I thought my phone was ringing for a second. That would be embarrassing. Um, I, I posit that for all of these things, for alien, for the human who shoots them, for all of them, they're both good and bad, right? right. Like, it, it's not a great idea if you're an alien and your ship is dying to necessarily, like, let yourself die. Mm -hmm. And that's understandable. But at the same time, for all intents and purposes, you're an invasive species invading another another animal's territory. Mm -hmm. And people and out of fear, people react. Creatures react. Oh yeah. So I think they're both empathizable. And it's just interesting because we like as human beings, I think we want to strive to do better. Right? Like we, we believe right. we could do better in those situations. We want to believe that we could do better in those situations, but at the end of the day, we don't know. But and I think that's where the excitement lives. Right. Well, the thing is, he, he made an interesting comment about the, the villain is always ugly. And mm -hmm. that's exactly, we always, every time, even if it's us mm -hmm. that's being violent, we always see the alien being ugly. Yeah, so if it came out like a cute little gummy bear, I think people would have like a problem killing it. Be like, oh, it's so adorable, and then it eats its face. Oh, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's okay. What about Hal in two thousand one? I'm on. Yeah. It's an excellent, uh, excellent, yeah. uh, excellent. Have, have you read it? Uh, I haven't read it. I watched the. Space Odyssey. Yeah. Stuff. yeah, Hal was conflicted over what he needed to do, but he was very literal, and he could not perform his function mm -hmm. literally. So the only way out for him was to get rid of the people who were, who were placing him in that situation. And, uh, I'd still blame his programmers, though. Well, yeah. no, <laughs> not so much the programmers, but the uh, people who gave him the instructions after he was programmed. Okay. Sure. I mean, it's the paperclip paradox that you build a machine to make the world a perfect paperclip factory. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, all it can do is produce paperclips at the expense of all else, and the whole universe is nothing but paperclips right. because that's the logic. You can't, at some point, logic has to, to fall. That's why AI scares the shit out of us because we know that it doesn't have nuance. It doesn't <laughs> understand nuance, it only understands. The obvious, and that's why and Kirk. And that's how Captain Kirk overcomes all the monsters <laughs> and machines. That's why he's fun. That's why he's exciting. That's why he's good. He breaks rules. He breaks rules. And like, uh, Deep Space Nine is a good example of this too. Like Cisco, the captain of Deep Space. He's he's kind of a, he flirts war crimes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does a he does. lot. Well, I think that's also it made me laugh because people were so mad at Discovery and not just for 
that, but they bring that up. They're like, this isn't Starfleet. Starfleet wouldn't do this. And I'm like, have you ever watched Star Trek? Yeah. Yeah. Starfleet would do a lot of things if they decided they wanted to. If they wanted to. They they do, and they just tell people the cues, like, oh, no, we're we're this. And then you're like, yeah, over here, we're going to do this. If you guys have been keeping up with Strange New Worlds, there's the the second season, second episode. Yes. Uh, Una's trial. Oh, yeah. That lawyer lady, I want to be her one day. Right. <laughs> yeah, the way that she calls it, she's all like, she called it out right there in front of everybody. Like yeah, a Star sure. Trek captain can make exceptions to any. They can break the prime directive. They do it all the time if they find that it's warranted. So that's that's the, that's the example. Is right. So like Star Trek being probably for us a more realistic utopia as far as we have in pop culture that most of us are aware of, but even then we have all of these very real issues. Like if you have your Cisco situation trying to defend against the Dominion, against the Cardassians, whatever, you're going to commit war crimes because if you don't, you're going to all die. So either you commit atrocities, become a monster, or you know, do the Harvey Dent thing, you live long enough to become the villain, and you know that's just what it takes, that's what you're going to well, do. Well, Janeway did that when she was stuck in the Delta Quad. She had no choice, but she tried to stick to it to a certain point. She tried. And then it was like, she dealt with the board. I mean, look at her situation now. She negotiated with the board. She was deal with the devil, right. but she had to do it to get through that territory. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Star Trek really portrays an utopian environment, you know, future. But to be perfectly honest, it shows a lot of aspects where they can't adhere to it. Well, that's it's for human. We suck. So, well, and it's yeah. not just that you can't you can't con- you can't get everyone to conform. No, exactly. To the way that you want them, you could offer them every freedom in the book, and if they still just didn't like you, they'd be like, "F you," and walk away and well, do whatever they want. What you're talking about is an enforcement problem. What happened? You create a utopia, but if someone doesn't go along with it, now what do you do? Right. Exactly. But I mean, like, is it truly a utopia if you require everyone to go along with it? No, that becomes a totalitarian then. So, so who was the monster in Andrew's game? Oh, wow. Well, wait a minute. There's a monster. Yeah. Let's be fair about Andrew's game. The monsters in Andrew's game were fighting against humans and were wiping us out. Ender was a monster fighting monsters. Okay, he just didn't realize it. No, he was a child. He was a child. Who they basically said you had to do this or we will all die. That is manipulation of the grossest magnitude. He's a child. He's not capable of critical thinking. Well, he didn't even know. He didn't even know he was fighting. No, like he thought it was a simulation. He thought he was playing a simulation. If you judge by actions, he was doing monstrous things. No, he didn't mean to do monstrous things. He didn't mean to wipe out this entire planet. But he did wipe out the planet. He was tricked into it. Regardless, now he spends the rest of the uh, rest of that series making up for that. Okay, but <clears throat> if he hadn't, they would have killed humanity. So I can understand why he was placed in that situation. I remember, did the queen say that she would actually go back and kill them, like in whatever conversation? Well, they were they were destroying the. Oh, which I'm sorry. What I remember, it's been a while since I read it because you know been a very long time. It's been a while. But I remember something afterwards where he goes to a hive, or maybe it's before the big battle where he goes to a hive and has some sort of like telepathic conversation with the queen. Yeah. yeah. And she yeah. she yeah. she gives him the uh, she gives him the uh, 
two uh, is it uh, the, the the two surviving children of that race? The egg. Yeah. Right. Right. So like. But, but, but again, like talk about like the, the monster stuff. I would I would argue that the, the kernel, the, the the command structure that put Ender in that position was a monster. But that being said, in I were in that position, I'd do the exact same thing. Yeah. I would be a monster. That's fine. I will. I would sleep at night, God, I hope send this kid off to kill an entire race to save humanity. I would sleep when there's a minuscule. Is it wrong that if I had been in Ender's shoes and somehow was hip to what was going on, I would have just turned the human fleet back on the humans and been like, take me, alien mommy and daddy? I mean, that, that, is, that is the choice, because that is an either-or situation. When you're, when you're that far, you have pushed it to an either-or. Maybe it didn't have to get there. Maybe. Who knows? It's a well, he parks them on a planet, view, and it's like, this is your new yeah. It's a point of but, view as to who's the most. But, but working with that of either, either they kill us or we kill them, it's one or the other. I'm going to choose me. I'm going to choose us. So I would make that call. I would weaponize this kid. Mm-hmm. I would take that on. The, the, the question, and it's a moral question, is how far are you willing to go and what is worth what? For instance, say a six-year-old, heavily abused, terribly psychologically traumatized, has an assault weapon, walks in and starts shooting people. Okay, and you've got a gun. Are you going to shoot him to stop him? Or are you God, try to, uh, yeah, well, and, and the, the, that, that would be the question. Would you, you know, to stop people from being killed, shoot a six-year-old kid who doesn't deserve it? Well, I mean, like, this is, this is becoming the train and the Charlie problem, you know? Yeah. Like, but, I, but that is that is what we're coming down to. It's like, that, that's the whole... Then you become the monster. But you, I mean, like... I would become, I would become the monster if it came down to that. Sure. But there were so many steps along the way before that kid... Got a hold of that gun. Yeah, control. Sure, I I understand. I'm just saying, like, they're yeah. well, an even simpler one. Okay, like one of my favorite examples of this is the uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, classic horror, classic monster story, which we've got one of, which is really bizarre. But um, classic story. Oh, that's because the costume was so. Yeah. <laughs> so you have this example, and he was, uh, from our perspective, monster. He's trailing this. One. He just wanted to grab that ass. Like, that's cool. I, no, okay, no. So, I I watched this movie real young, and at the time I could be like, oh, these two guys are gay for each other. And this swamp creature knows what's up, and he's trying to hook him up. That's why he's stealing so, these women. So, like, he, so he's a monster. Yes, he, he is hurting people. He's killing people. His intention isn't to do that. He's just, you know, he likes what he sees, whatever. Like... So his actions are uh, monstrous. <laughs> Whatever. He just wants to make fish babies. Yeah. Okay, so it's a need to reproduce. So again, not it's not a perfect example. But that's the point. Right? He is a monster. He's doing monstrous things. Now, is he trying to harm anybody? No, that's not his intention. Not what he's trying to do. That's just what he's doing. Frankenstein's another example of this. He killed that little girl. He didn't mean to. He just did. He didn't. He doesn't understand what he's doing. He's blameless. But we still blame him. We're going after the pitchforks, and he's the monster, and all this crap. He's not. Frankenstein can be argued that the actual monster is Victor. Yes. And then abandon him. And abandon him. He's the monster. Yes. Yeah. Well, so the issue that you're pointing out here is: is it the intent or is it the outcome? I I personally have always felt that intention. I don't think it has to be either or. I think you have to weigh all of it. And it's really hard and it's really nuanced. So it's, so it's, a, ba- so it's a sliding scale. It trying. is a sliding scale. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Uh, it, is, it is about that. Like if I don't, it, like I got a kitten and if I accidentally, oh my God, I don't even want to think about it. I'm taking it back. No. If I accidentally <laughs> killed somebody else's kitten, 
I would feel horrible yes. and I would try to make amends. But that doesn't take back the fact that that kitten is dead. And right. there's no, the only thing through that trauma is to heal through it. And sometimes healing means getting angry at the person who did you wrong. And then, so, and then, and then you get back to the point of like, okay, once you have this bad outcome, to what point are you aware of that outcome? And then how does that change your behavior? <laughs> that's what we do. That's why we write books, buddy. We yeah. get to explore all of that. <laughs> but uh, we're getting uh, yeah, we're closer to time. So let's do, do you guys uh, have anything? Final, well, let's do final two. Plugs. Okay, first. Yeah, all right. Uh, so plugging. All right, guys. So tomorrow I'm doing researching your writing at 9 and 10 a.m. I did a lot of research for these books. I even rewrote this one four times to make sure that I captured the Egyptian underworld correctly. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I also am doing Kill, uh, Kill Shag Mary uh, at 10 and 11. It's going to be super fun. It's always super fun. And you guys get to do the arguing, and I just get to sit back and drink. And I love that. Um, also, my books are for sale. I have a friend with me. We have a bunch of my books. If you're interested, you can come see me. They're all about the same woman having getting down with a bunch of monsters and gods. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and these guys are monsters good bad and the ugly so um i got three books sitting over there i uh, put together a couple of short stories that i was really pleased with and that other people were really pleased with i'm giving them away for free from two to three p.m i will be autographing all of my books which are for sale for the bargain bits then price up what do you want to pay and, uh, and uh, I will be there with Olivia Addison, with Jay Smith, uh, and Joe Bauman, and I think one other person, Carol. Carol Edwards, yes, Carol Edwards, who is my uh, fairy god poet, my fairy god poet. Uh, and otherwise, um, have a great day and take it away. So, because I'm only covering. Sorry guys, I'm only on one more panel that's tomorrow at 10 p.m. We are doing Horror Against Humanity where we try really, really hard to make all of you very uncomfortable. It's really, it's a good time, guys. With uh, Cards Against Humanity style, but just the most grotesque things that we can possibly think of. Um, it's bad. It's, it's really, really bad. Um, I didn't bring a product with me to sell, but I do provide author services. So if any of you are aspiring authors and you need help, come find me and I can help you. Yeah. Anyone have any final thoughts? Anything you want to get the final word in? Everyone should marry Leatherface. <laughs> Monsters suck, but sometimes on purpose. <laughs> Jaws was the good guy. Jaws, was the good Jaws guy. I was a hundred, especially at the Sea World one. I was ten thousand percent on board. No, no more exploitation of uh, end exploitation of animals. Right. Which one? Godzilla's also a great monster. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.